The Milking It podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience. I've got the feeling that you're milking it. It's now time to join the guys with this week's Milking It! Hey, hey, welcome everyone to the podcast that tugs the teeth of popular culture till it explodes all over your face. I'm David Davis and uh, hey, where, where, where's the boom? Yes, it's episode 24 of the Milking It podcast, and this week we're going to be talking about, well, Dave, I think we're going to be, we're going to be talking about sitcoms. No way. That's right. Indeed we are. I believe it all kicked off on the uh, milkitpodcast.com. Oh. That's right. I said something I'm going to live to regret. <laughs> That's right, Dave. You said something you're going to live to regret. We're going to cover it here, but first I think we should uh, get the show started. So how about you and I take their hands and lead them to a geeky land. It's this week's (laughs) Milking It podcast. We're going to have a discussion about sitcoms a little later on, but first of all, we'll take our usual weekly stroll through the week of Geek. It's the Geek News! Geek News! So, Burley, the Geek News this week. Uh, What's been happening in the crazy world of geeks? Whether it's TV, video games, or the magical world of movies, Dave, plenty to talk about this week yeah, on Milking It Podcast. Very, very little in terms of casting news this week. In fact, I've got nothing. However, I, I do have... Um, we'll start with a bit of movie news first. Cool. Um, did hear about a little show that's been uh, attempted to be rebooted a couple of times now, hmm. and that is that uh, they've announced that Will Ferrell and his production company will be rebooting The Flintstones in a new animated feature. Yeah, do you know what? I, I was um, I was actually quite like, ugh, and I I put this on our uh, on the milkingpodcast.com. Um, I put the news up there in a kind of, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this again. Because when I originally read the news, I'd read it in my bleary eyed before a coffee moment as being reboot, as in they're going to do a new live action show, uh, live action movie, like you know, like the one that John Goodman was in and that kind of thing. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell couldn't play Betty anymore; she'd be playing a dinosaur. Bruh. Um, oh, so many jokes went through my mind then, all of which would have got us kicked off iTunes. Um, so basically, they they are going to yeah, it's going to be an animated version, which I'm actually I wouldn't mind seeing that, especially because from what I was I was reading, from what I understand from hearing some other guys talking about it today, uh, it's going to be like a 3D computer animated version, sort of updating the franchise a little bit. Not that you can update something set in prehistoric times, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 down with that, especially if Will Ferrell's attached. I mean, come on. Yep, yeah, no, no, he's a great 
Sky Guy, and I mean, they're taking over from um, Seth MacFarlane, who uh, had a new trailer, the trailer for his um, new movie came out this week. But, but Seth MacFarlane, basically, he was asked to reboot the, the Flintstones for TV. He was going to do a half-hour show, not like Family Guy in American Dad, because obviously that's the, the humour is way out there compared to the Flintstones. <laughs> yes, but yeah. he actually... He actually passed up because he said he was just too busy with everything that's going on. So they've handed it to Will Ferrell, um, a comedian who is a very Marmite comedian. But I'm a long-time listener when I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan. So every like I remember when he was a cast member, when he was the funniest thing yes, yeah. like, on TV every week. I also, so again, I'm with... Sorry, I was just going to very quickly say, talking about Will Ferrell, um, I've... I've think I've gone on record in previous podcasts of saying that I'm not a massive Will Ferrell fan. He's kind of passed me by some of the stuff that he does. I'm not an Anchorman fan, this kind of thing. Uh, loved him in the stuff he did with Kevin Smith. Um, however, <laughs> uh, I finally got round to watching the Lego movie this week. And um, he is outstanding in that film. And I am just, I'm so angry with myself, even more angry with myself. Dave, he's a brilliant voice it. actor. Just wonderful. He's a brilliant yeah. voice. The first thing I ever saw in voice acting was a TV series called The Oblongs. Um, which was, if you can track it down, Milsters, it's an absolutely fantastic animated series. It only went one one season, as it's an American show, we'll say season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a family. They live in the valleys uh, below the valley. All the rich people live in the valley. All the people that live down below like, get all the pollution, so they're slightly uh, deformed. But it's about this loving family. Will Ferrell plays the dad who's got no arms or legs. But I, I know it sounds bizarre. It's one of the most heartwarming shows I've ever seen in my life. This family really love each other, and it's a great, great show. So if you can track out, track down the Oblong um, with Will Ferrell, uh, just an example of how good a voice actor is. But as we said, he took over from Seth MacFarlane, and Seth MacFarlane's mm. movie, A Million Ways to Die Out West. Yes. Um, the, trailer, the, the full trailer went up. And um, I've got to say, I think it's going to be better than Ted. It does. It certainly looks that way. It, it looks very, very funny. Ties in as well with um, a discussion we were having on the last podcast about an individual called Ralph Garman, who's involved with the '66 uh, Batman comics, uh, and I've mentioned him previously. He's been part of the uh, sort of Family Guy cast, and he's in that as well. And he's been dropping some hints on Hollywood Babylon about how good it is. And he said he's, he's seen like the first rough cut. And it's one of the funniest things he's ever seen on Sally Lloyd. He said it was up there with Blazing Saddles and that sort of humor. Oh, that's strong words. Ironically, mm. this week is the 40th anniversary of the release of Blazing Saddles. Um, meant to mention the greatest comedy western of all time at the moment. Mm. So let's see how a million ways to die in the West um, pans out. But yes, Blazing Saddles, it's 40 years old, Dave. It's, it's older than me, but um, it's brought me pleasure my entire life, pretty much, from the minute I've seen that movie. Absolutely, um, yeah, really, really great. I, I was introduced to that film um, when I was at secondary school. I remember doing um, drama because I'm a theatrical type. Um, and uh, I remember the drama teacher, we were, we were discussing the um, the humorous nature of flatulence, let's put it like that. Uh, and he, he pointed me in the direction of a, a particular scene around the campfire in, in that film. And uh, I must admit, I was hooked from that moment. It is absolutely brilliant. I put it above almost everything else that uh, that uh, Mel Brooks has done but uh, I think Young Frankenstein for me is still probably the best but um, definitely Blazing Saddles if you have no chance to check it out Milsters please 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 go and check it out because it is it's just wonderfully written and, and amazingly acted and directed Mongo just porn in Game of Life <laughs> insert random quote right here <laughs> uh, talking of films um, 
and reboots uh, that we were. Oh, before. Dave, shall we, shall we start it off this week? It's, it's time for the Milking It reboot shoot. There we go. So we're going to peer right up the reboot shoot and see what's <laughs> been fired down towards us. Uh, and it, it looks as if there's a steaming pile of reboot heading our way. Uh, the Beverly Hills Cop returns. Axel Foley oh. is back. I've, I, I, I am unqualified to discuss this because I and I told this to Boo before we started recording and he was quite angry I have never seen a Beverly Hills Cop movie you call yourself a child of the 80s David but are you are you I was too busy Um, running around playing with He-Man figures (laughs) to to watch the Beverly Hills Cop movies even at sort of 14 15 I was probably still doing that which is why I've ended up discussing them every week hmm Best years, the best years of Beverly Hills Cop are long gone. Yes, Beverly Hills Cop is coming back. Um, they did say it was originally going to be a TV series about the son of Axel Foley, and Axel Foley <clears throat> was going to be a character in it. In fact, he was now going to be the chief of police, as far as I was aware. Are you, However, sorry, sorry, are you saying that it was going to be a uh, TV was, series about Mr. Foley's baby boy? So, sorry. Uh, mm. <laughs> It's going to be a TV series. Awkward, David. Awkward uh, was funny, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't really anyway. work. Yeah, we'll take it out <clears> in the edit. Um, uh, you, you want awkward? It was originally based on a TV series. It was going to have yep. Eddie Murphy playing Axel Foley. He was going to have his son. They did not pick up the pilot, so he is taking his stuff back and saying, fuck it, we'll just release another movie. How weird. You'd, you'd think if there was... Like if Eddie Murphy was, I know he's he's not as massive as he once was by any means, but you'd think if he's attached no, to a TV series that they'd be interested. That's that's quite strange that the. I'll be honest, Eddie's long gone. His brother Charlie's easily brought more laughter to my life. Like Eddie's films will live forever. Coming to America, things mm. like that are brilliant. Stuff like Delirious and Raw, brilliant. But well, uh, consistently... I don't know. There's, there's some there's some segments of those which are very hard to watch now. But yeah. Yes, David. Um, Yes, your girlfriend goes to the club, she kisses her gay friend, she comes home with those AIDS on her lips. Yeah, yeah, a little bit ill-informed. But yeah, but hey, it was the 80s, guys. (laughs) Come on, we can forgive him. And and obviously the fact that he didn't sleep with Scary Spice as well. Have a a baby with Scary Spice. Which people think is worse than him giving a ride to a transsexual? I think it's pretty much one of the same thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm not... People will forgive him for the transactions, but scary spicy. Hmm. Eddie Murphy, uh, if you can make a decent Beverly Hills cop, then we will welcome you back into the collective with open arms. But if not, your brother Charlie is still the king. So um, that's a remake or a reboot, even, of uh, Beverly Hills Cop coming up. One that you will have no interest in at all, Dave. Excellent. It's tentatively, but it's... It's a reboot of a film called Maniac Cop, which starred Bruce Campbell um, back in the day. Do you I, remember that at all? I remember the, the video cover of it. I've never seen it. I, am I uh, am I right in the understanding oh, no. that there are two? There's Maniac Cop 2 as well. There is a Maniac Cop 2 as well. Yeah, I, it's one of these um, 80s video legends that you remember seeing the cover for and the post for. Because I, right. I knew of Freddy Krueger mm. long Long before I saw a Nightmare on Elm Street film, because the posters were always up in the uh, in the in the video shop, so I always knew about that that weird character with the spiky fingers. And until I was about twelve or thirteen, I, I mm. didn't know who he was. Um, but yeah, Maniac Cop is one of those posters that you would have seen everywhere. But they're thinking of rebooting it. Um, 
another Bruce Campbell reboot. They did the Evil Dead a few years back with some success. Mm-hmm. Maniac Cops, um, not bad. The originals aren't that bad, so it might be quite interesting. What's uh, just to because to, I'm ill-informed. What what's Maniac Cop about? What's I, I get the clues in the title, but what what sort of genre is it? Is it just like a, just a schlock horror? It's like a, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's out and out horror. A cop gets killed, comes back to wreak revenge on those that have done him wrong, and then ah, okay. because he's in a police uniform from a distance, people think he's just a normal policeman. And when they break, it's a horror film, out and out horror film, Dave. So okay, I oh, will have to. He's, uh, un- he's like he's unstoppable, like the Terminator kind of thing, like. Mm. interesting interesting indeed uh if you want to get some more feedback on uh, our discussion last uh, last podcast about the terminator and uh, one matt smith being involved uh, jay put up uh, some uh, an interesting little clip from it another was, uh, film that he was in wasn't it that it was it was it was the deleted scene from in bruges mm. that still doesn't convince me because i was like look at that little twat cutting that man's head off <laughs> <laughs> oh how many times we've said that <laughs> having worked in wood green um yes indeed so that'd be uh, but anyway yes yeah, so bit of a, a further discussion about that one um while we're still peering up the uh, movie reboot shoot um interesting big budget remake or uh well not really remake they've done a couple of movies uh, about it but uh not really something that i ever got into uh, i came into it a little bit late but i'm sure you you i'm sure you would have been a fan because i know the kind of rubbish you enjoy watching is that they've announced there's <laughs> going to be a big budget power rangers movie um i i i was just I was thinking I was like one or two years too old to really enjoy Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm. I remember the movie. I thought the movie, the first movie, was quite cool. It was when the Power Rangers turned into like ninjas, as opposed to like the kind of ranger look they had. Mm. No, I mean I'm looking forward to it. Um, Jason David Frank, who played the White and Green Ranger, is a bit of an internet celebrity, and he's always entertaining um, to watch. He's an MMA fighter as well, really interesting guy, and we're hoping that he's had a bit of a hand in this. But yes, there's a Power Rangers reboot, a big big one coming up. It's not, you're right, it's not a reboot in so much as the, the series has never ended. The, the Power yes. Rangers still got, is yes. still on. Since, since in different like, which is insane. They've, sorry, 1993. Um, and they've, they've had like a new series every year since 93, right until present day. I didn't realise it had continued being such a sort of cash cow for uh, Bandai or whoever it was who did it. Um, but yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. The thing with Power Rangers is it's two shows. It's like a Japanese show and an American show. So the, a lot. It, it must be fairly easy to make. Because all you have to do is fill in the um, the segments around the Japanese monster fighting bits. Mm. So it's a pre-existing show. So um, I think because the production's fairly easy. I mean, I might be completely wrong. Anyone, please correct me. But I think I'm, my understanding is that the, the production is it's fairly easy to do because half of it's already been done somewhere else. If you know what I mean. So um, mm. the, the, the the monster fights are kind of reused in Japanese shows and that. But um, I digress. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which is, I think, the version that they're going to be using, it is a really cool... Like, giant robots are cool no matter what. Everything with giant robots has got to be cool. And Power Rangers and the Power... And the Megazords and from, um I'd be quite interested to see what they do with it. I don't know whether I'd 100% be in the first line of the cinema to see it, but um, I would definitely be interested to see what, what route they take, whether they remain kidified or whether they go down the illustrious dark route, which everyone is always looking for. <laughs> you think they're going to try and... Make a real world 
Mighty Morphing Power Rangers with like Chris Nolan know, helming Dave. it. Wow. Uh, Never know because um, you do. I don't know if you remember a few years ago. We may have talked talked about this previously on the Milky podcast. A few years ago, they had uh, they were going to do a, um, a Captain Planet reboot called Dark Planet, and uh, it basically was the world had been destroyed by pollution in the mm. end, and somehow Captain Planet finds a way to come back and wreak his terrible revenge on those that ruin the earth. And that was a legit script. It was a legit production that was going to be made. Um, Power Ranger, Captain Planet for adults. So, wow, that's there sounds... you go. You never know. Dreadful. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, any more reboots this week? I don't think we do. Um, it is kind of a reboot. It's a sequel to a reboot, um, and that is the new Dawn of the Planet of the Apes trailer. Um, mm. Hit the uh, hit the internet. Yes, hit the old interwebs and looks pretty amazing and did genuinely get me excited about watching that. Have you seen the original yet? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> David, get your ass into gear because there is no way you can see that sequel before you see the original. You need to understand. Caesar is a fantastic character. It's beautifully performed by Andy Serkis and the uh, mm. motion capture people. It is it is a sight to behold, and I personally cannot wait. It's going to be the big war between the humans and the apes, and the apes are going to start slowly taking over. And I mean, it is the first time we've seen this aspect of the Planet of the Apes story. It's so strange because four years ago, if you said you'd be interested, I would be interested in Planet of the Apes. I'd laugh at you because it was just one of those kitschy sci-fi's that I never would have taken an interest in. Mm. And then, then the reboot happened and um, blew me away. Um, John Lithgow, who I'm going to talk about quite a bit later to give you a clue, so another one of my sitcom choices. Spoiler um, alert. John Lithgow is a, is a fantastic actor. James Franco is James Franco, and he does a really good job uh, in, uh, in the Planet of the movie. No, I, I joke. I like I like Franco. He is unfortunately one of those likeable bastards. But I can't wait for the new Planet of the Apes movie. Um, I know that you're going to see it as well, but not before you've checked out the first one, David. No, no, I, I've seen I've seen the first one of the reboots. I just haven't seen the originals. If that's, I thought you meant have I seen like the original set of movies? But no, I've I've seen the first uh, Planet of the Apes reboot movie. Excellent. So yes, I'm, that's yeah. that's why I can't wait to see it. I, yeah, James Franco is is absolutely amazing in it. Um, I know he doesn't appear in this this new one, obviously. For, for everyone, everyone's obviously. dead. Yeah. Let's be blunt. Spoiler. You know, there's no. Spoiler. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. Everyone's dead. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. Yes, but no, it looks really, really good. Um, in terms of, uh, that's a film I'm very excited about. In terms of films I'm not excited about, um, I don't know whether you caught the news that Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver is one of those actresses I can watch in anything. I think she's absolutely wonderful um, ever since sort of Alien, Ghostbusters, all that kind of stuff. She has this little place in my heart of this person that I, you know, I'm rarely disappointed by Sigourney Weaver. This week, I was disappointed by Sigourney Weaver as she announced three movies that I really don't want to watch, which she's confirmed <laughs> that there's going to be three more Avatar movies. And I've literally, on my notes, there is three letters written by the side of it with a massive exclamation mark and a question David mark. David spelled F-U-C-K? <laughs> no, it just says, why? But, uh, t- t- why are there three more Avatar movies on the way? Please. I um, wasn't a fan of the first one at all. No. <laughs> um, could, could, sorry, I couldn't care less for it. Um, yeah. Uh, I have seen it in 3D. And, you know, the only thing that impressed me was at one point she's drawing a bow and arrow, one of the female navvies. Hmm. Um, she's pulling back a bow and arrow. 
and she moves towards the screen. And that was the best bit of 3D I'd ever seen at that point was the arrow literally looked like it was pointing at you. Apart from that, nothing did it for me. No, I think I was talking about, I was actually having this conversation this morning with someone um, about James Cameron as a director. I, I, I think that it's got to that point now where he generates your avatar highest grossing movie of all time that's the answer as to why we're getting three more of the fucking things is it is genuinely the highest grossing film ever ever made for me i think james cameron's got to that point now which george lucas was at with the star wars prequels where he is so powerful and makes so much money and does so many like massive budget things that the people around him are quite scared to go James, you do realise this is a bit shit, don't you? You do realise you need you need to probably cut this by about half hour because it's a bit bit rubbish, isn't it? In the same way that no one would do it with Kubrick, and there's some Kubrick films that could have done with a bit shaving off. I I am in no way a director myself, however, that is the opinion I hold. Um, I just think he's got to that point now where he's kind of untouchable into <laughs> with that kind of thing. And I, I know, Dave, I know exactly what you mean. Where people. Are... Because he has got it so right before, no one's got the bollocks to go up to him and you're saying, no, James, this is this is madness. This is terrible. Yeah. This isn't going to fly. Because he, he, because he will know better because he's James fucking Cameron, you know? Mm. I, I totally I totally get what you mean, Dave. And it's a shame because some of his earlier films were really, really good. But pre-Titanic, he never shit the bed. <laughs> well, yeah, completely. You know, Aliens, uh, Terminator, really good films. Really uh, Terminator 2, holy fuck, the... The Holy Grail of sequels. That's mm, Godfather Two, surely. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I can, I can understand where you're coming from. David, hey, <laughs> you can't say that. Well, oh, do, do you know what? Here you go. You doubted yourself as not seeing a few things. I've seen the first Godfather and I hated it, and I didn't bother watching the other ones. There you oh. go. Oh, how on earth? Have you, <laughs> how on earth have you not seen Godfather Two yet? You present every week a movie review podcast with the illustrious Dino Peppers. Don't try and make out that I'm the geek that hasn't seen this stuff, Dave. You! <laughs> <laughs> well, let me qualify that is the Totally Insane Tape Show, which is available on iTunes <laughs> and Stitcher. Um, but, oh, right, okay. I, I will sit down and watch Beverly Hills Cop 1 if you sit down and watch Godfather 2 across the next few weeks. That's not a fair swap, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got the better end of the deal, trust me. <laughs> yes, Godfather. Oh, okay, I could wax lyrical about Godfather 2 for a long time, but it's, uh, I know, I bet could. it's not movie I bet news. Could. Um, there was the only uh, other bit of movie news that I'd, uh, I got written down from the last week as we uh, take a stroll for the week of Geek uh, is that the Star Wars movie apparently has been given a name tentatively. What is that name, David? Is it... Revenge of the Return of the Menace of the Sith? Oh, it is. How did you guess? No, apparently. <laughs> uh, apparently it's called An- Ancient Fear, I think was the uh, the name that I saw. The Ancient Fear? Mm. Hold on. <laughs> mm. 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 Let's, uh, let, me, let me see the synopsis for the movie before I make any decisions on whether that's an interesting name or a shit name. I'm not saying this because... I think the worst name for a Star Wars film, and even if the film content was the, even if it was the best Star Wars film, mm. I still think The Phantom Menace has the worst name for a kind of film. A New Hope, fine. Empire Strikes Back makes sense. Return of the Jedi makes sense. The Phantom Menace. 
I don't know. I, I I remember people shitting on Attack of the Clones as a name back in the day. So I yeah, remains Attack of the Clones has kind of got like a kitschy B movie feel, which, um, which kind of is <laughs> where Star. I know it's where Star Wars came from. It came from those pulpy Flash Gordon, as mentioned last week on the Milk It podcast. Um, <laughs> kind of uh, feel to it. So Attack of the Clones for me is not such a bad thing, but The Phantom Menace. I've, 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 I've had The Phantom Menace. It sounds like something he's like Deli Belly. Oh, look out, mate. He's got The Phantom Menace. Oh, dear Lord. Um, so, that, <laughs> <laughs> what a, what an image to end on for the uh, movie news for this week, unless you've got anything else, sir. Not really. It doesn't really count as movie news, but I will do it, and also, uh, just mm. to round off the movie stuff, that was the news this week that Boom Comics are bringing back Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China, one of my favourite movies from the 80s. Jack Burton and the Pork Chop Express are back uh, in a new comic book series, which is a direct sequel to the movie Big Trouble in Little China, uh, one of John Carpenter's best. Um, really looking forward to that. Really glad to see all of those characters back. And um, You must have seen Big Trouble. Oh, yeah, I loved it. It was brilliant. Motherfucker. Hello, Milksters. Your old pal and friend of the show, Moss Man here, off of 80s classic cartoon, Masters of the Universe. As you can imagine, I've had a lot of time on my hands since that cartoon finished, and I've been aching to hear some quality, geeky podcast that rounds up all the news in a nice, tight package. Only thing is, we don't have iPhones. Oh, not after old King Randor fell out with Steve Jobs back in 92. Well, imagine my delight that now the Milk and Get podcast is available on Stitcher for Android users like myself. Stitcher.com has all the information. Oh, I can't wait to tell Fisto. He'll be well made up. Alright people, this is your mate Stell, host of the great football podcast known as Shoot the Defence. Join me, John, Andy, Mike, Stuffy and whoever else can be bothered to appear every Thursday night at 10.30pm. Mixler.com forward slash Shoot the Defence. We're informative, opinionated, sometimes controversial, and have one or two face palm moments. I have a dream. <laughs> Mr. Malcolm X. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, ah, and we have our own website, shootthedefense.com. Shoot the Defense. Play on. In a world gone mad, in a world where nothing makes sense, Two loose cannons on the edge, willing to do anything to get the job done. You know that was a good one. A totally insane tape show. Get your tits out! Ooh, zombies. They're, uh, they're, they, they were cool last year, weren't they? Oh, brilliant. There's a, another sticky thumb fun emporium about zombies. <laughs> uh, enjoy. Two minutes. Two minutes is all it takes for tragedy to strike the three surviving members of Lee Everett's happy-go-lucky get-along gang from season one of The Walking Dead. Within five minutes, the remaining two members are separated by violent looters, with one possibly dead. 
Within seven minutes, Clementine, our new pre-team lead, lost and alone, gains the companionship of a friendly canine. Who, within ten minutes, is crazed by hunger and tries to kill Clem for a can of beans and has to be stabbed in the face. And that's just the opening quarter of an hour of the first episode of this five-part return to the Georgian chuckle farm that is The Walking Dead. Let's make that smile plummet a mile. Yes, Telltale have blotted out another episode of their award-winning adaptation of Robert Kirkman's graphic novels into our laps and they're hell-bent on heaping more misery on the shoulders of that lovely little urchin, Clementine, and her new band of merry future zombie munch. Gameplay remains the same as Series 1, where quick reactions and inter-character relationships take precedence over puzzles. Which is great, as I usually end up punching crossword puzzles. The mind-bending shits! Clem, as I described in my first series review some episodes ago, is a brilliant character, and she only develops even further here. There is a real sense of actual character progression here. Yes, actual character progression in a video game, as she's no longer the timid, horrified child we last saw in 2012. A couple of years have passed, both in the game world and real life, and the harsh lessons handed out have aged her prematurely. She's cunning, jaded, determined and cynical. Aged before her time a little, but unmistakably still a child. She longs of the childhood deprived of her by the zombie-opalypse. Zombie-ocoblips? Zombie-doppa-doppa-dips. The thing with the zombies. She's alone for most of this chapter, even after she meets her new group. She's the emotional core of this series, and one of the best-written characters in the entire Walking Dead franchise. This episode throws Clem into the deep end as a lead character, presenting her with a lot of difficult situations that would be hard for a 49-year-old to deal with, let alone an 11-year-old. As mentioned before, she's very much alone in this chapter and presented with several life and death scenarios. There's a lot of things, and no small amount of people, that want this little girl dead in this harsh new world. And poor old Clem's a lovely little moppet. No one wants to see her die. Not like those shrill, irritating clumps of fresh-faced harpies in training bras that bother retail workers during half-term. None of them survived the events of The Walking Dead, thankfully. It's tough, but compulsive going, and I hate to sound like mother, but don't forget to upload your save file from Series 1 and 400 Days if you have them, as some of those decisions and characters are due to come back and bite you on the arse. And you should let them. Go on, pull down your trousers and pants, put your cheeks out, and prepare for a nice little chew. Yum, yum, yum. So if you've been enjoying life recently, maybe you've met a lovely partner, or had a tax rebate, or maybe you've taught your dog to stand on its back legs while dressed as a clown. Remember, there's a little comforting slice of familiar misery waiting for your purchase. So, Walking Dead Series 2, Episode 1, take your four thumb marks out of five and wander off into the wilderness. Watch out for walkers. Bye for now. So, David, um, next on the Geek News agenda, and it is an agenda... Um, is the TV news? So, uh, <laughs> There's no jingle for that, but yeah, thank no, you. That is the jingle. <laughs> oh, okay, um, right, fair enough. A um, couple of plenty of superhero television items, oh, and one so very close to my heart yeah. this week. So let's get started. Let's start with a bit of the old Marvel news, David. Did yeah. you uh, hear the announcement that Agent Peggy Carter has uh, been greenlit? I did, and this um, this did 
pique my interest because uh, it's something I actually have watched in terms of I've seen the uh, the first Captain America film. So I do understand who the character is. And I was also very interested um, as a massive Call the Midwife fan that uh, it's going to be a sort of nostalgia piece that it's... I'm not a massive Call the Midwife. May I just say uh, that, that I'm not. Um, that it's going to be a nostalgia piece. It's going to be set in the 40s and kind of a pre... Uh, pre-Shield world. It's kind of how they created Shield and you know, everything else. It sounds very interesting. And as far as I understand, it's going to feature predominantly Howard Stark, mm. uh, the father of Tony. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, the the idea of him, yeah, putting the the money in to develop different bits and pieces. I, I, like I say, my my Marvel knowledge comes purely from the movies. I'm not a, a comic book Marvel guy, but uh, I like the idea Actually, of it. And uh, if they've got the same actress involved, which I believe they have, who who plays the character in, in both the new uh, Captain America and the the original movie, uh, it should be really good. Um, hearing good things, people seem to be excited about it, so you know, I'll definitely give that a go. If it's kind of like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as far as I'm aware, it takes a bit of time to kick off, really. And then it gets really interesting. So it might be one of those slow starter, but, but bright burners in the end. Definitely, definitely. Um, the other one that I, I saw this week in terms of TV stuff was, um, well, it can't we can't avoid talking about it because it, it wouldn't be a Milking It podcast unless we mentioned the Batman. And, um, Gotham, Batman, you say? Gotham, which has frankly propped us up throughout the weeks in terms of uh, geeky news. It has. But yeah, finally, we got a TV trailer. We got an extended TV trailer. Um, do you watch Twenty Four at all? Have you seen any of the seasons? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, aware, I'm fully aware of Twenty Four mm. and uh, Jack Bauer. Is that his name? Well done, well done. Yes, you're excellent. Good. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're exposing ourselves uh, and our geek credentials this episode. I, I don't know if Twenty Four. No, Twenty Four is a mainstream television show, Dave. I don't think it counts as geek. It, 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 it's definitely worth a mention in the show, but I don't think. Uh, 24 is very mainstream. I wouldn't say that that was particularly geek culture-esque. Okay. But... However, the new season of 24, which is not this time in real time, so it's only 12 episodes apparently this time, um, but 24 uh, has started. It's mainly filmed in the UK this time around um, and stars Stephen Fry in it as the Prime Minister. So we should all be very interested in that because... There we go. Now you've piqued my interest. Is it Stephen Fry? Stephen Fry is in it playing the Prime Minister from what I understand. Real um, King of England. The real King of England. I'm, I'm glad you didn't go for the obvious joke there. So um, Dave, come on. Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. I was talking about you, I would have done. Um, <laughs> so 20, 24 has, has started they had the first episode on in the States Sky TV over here have now started doing something very cool which is uh, what they used to do and what they still do with the uh, wrestling pay-per-views where they show them at the same time as you see them in the States so if you want to watch it live you can tune in at 1am and, and watch it they're now doing that with major series like Game of Thrones 24 etc going forward so you can watch it in real time the same time as it goes out in the States so you avoid those spoilers on online no do you know Deb I remember sorry just in the old days when a film came out in America it, it wouldn't come out in the UK for like four or five months afterwards now it's literally everything is getting simultaneously released I, I love the world we're living at the moment I'm just saying do you, I, I, in the old days, you used to get like kind of, well, not me personally, but you used to be able to get like pirate videos of uh, things that were in the cinema or in America and like stuff like that. Like I don't know, I just I just think it's really great that we've kind of closed that release barrier down so much now. As I said, I remember kind of summer films in America. 
get in kind of October time. I think that that release window difference has closed because, like you say, of piracy. It's that you know that they would lose so much money if they if they did do that sort of three month gap between you know the latest turtles movie coming out in the states and then coming out over here and yes it was good for them because it gave them time to concentrate on the advertising in one sort of territory and then move over here and do the other territory and they could kind of plot it across the world in 12 months then you knew it'd be a year before it came out on video and you know it's now there is there's a a minimum 12 week window now between something opening at the cinema and it coming out on video which video that dates me out on dvd i remember i remember queuing up outside we were we had to queue up outside Tower Records to get uh, Ray Park, not Nick Park, creator of Wallace and Gromit. Um, Ray Parker Junior. Ray Parker Junior. Friend of the friend of the friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, I remember queuing up to meet Ray Parks to get Ooh. the video of Episode One. Um, I, I still hated Episode One back then. I just I just wanted to be where the Star Wars action was, and that was where the Star Wars action was. Queuing up to get a video signed, Dave. That my friend is retro. That, that is very retro but yeah so we've gone from like you say six, i don't know how we got on this tangent but we, we've we've gone from like six, six months between like the turtles co- going out in the states coming out over here it was the same with batman and everything else now it's a minimum of 12 weeks used to be 14 interesting story the reason that it changed from being i think it was 16 or 14 weeks minimum in the cinemas which is what the cinemas agreed generally with the movie houses was because of one film and that film was a film we've mentioned before here on the milking podcast in fact i think we mentioned it last month it was alice in wonderland tim burton's alice in wonderland so disney released alice in wonderland and they said right we want to do it so we release it in the cinema and it comes out at easter on dvd and blu-ray and the odeon cinema chain said that's only 12 weeks. We're not going to agree to that because that's not enough time for us to make our money back in terms of advertising revenue, blah, blah, blah. So Disney said, okay, go fuck yourselves. We'll put it in every single cinema apart from the Odeon chain. And Odeon went, oh, fuck, okay. Yeah, we'll do 12 weeks. And oh. now the minimum has changed to 12 weeks, thanks to Alice in Wonderland. A terrible movie by what's been, what has slowly become a terrible director Ruining a business. Oh, fuck mm. you, Burton. Come back to us, Tim. Make a good film, please. Fuck so, you. <laughs> so we climb aboard the Milking It tangent and try and take it back to what we were discussing. Um, Let's get the choo-choo train back to Gotham City, David. Yes, so the trailer. Finally, the first trailer has <laughs> gone up. Uh, during 24, it was the first episode of the new season of 24 that went up. Um, I'm sure, I, I know for a fact that Milkster himself, Colm, a guy who does a lot of bits and pieces in terms of our Facebook and, and posts loads of really cool stuff, he's a massive 24 fan from what I remember back in the day. So I'll be interested to know what he thinks of the new series. Um, during that, they aired a, a an extended TV trailer from the one that they put up on YouTube the day before. It was about two and a half, three minutes long. Proper good teaser for Gotham. So far, it's everything I want to see. What's your name? My name's Bruce Wayne. I promise you, I will find the man who did this. I'm learning to conquer fear. Fear doesn't need conquering. Fear tells you where the edge is. And... From us taking the piss out of him, the most interesting character for me coming out of that trailer looks to be the young Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin I, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't suppose you saw the news the other day that there was actually, uh, they were filming with Jada Pinkett, uh, is it still Smith? I, I can't remember. Yes, yeah, they're still to go. Um, and then um, 
there was a fire at the building adjacent to theirs uh, and they were worried it was going to spread so they had to kind of bail out and there's pictures of her in full outfit um, just standing outside this burning building. Oh wow! No, I didn't see that. It's, it's not. It's not a press photo. It was like they actually had to stop filming for the day because of this fire. Wow. But yeah, it, it, um, that was uh, the, the the outfit, the gangster Fish Mooney, who's going to be Oswald Copperpot's boss. Yes. Um, can I say rigid with excitement over a TV show? Yes, I can. Yeah, I think you can. Sti- I think, yeah. Stiff as a fucking board. Cannot wait for this program. Mm. Um, it is. Uh, it is what it is. There is no Batman. It's not a Batman TV show. This is the story of James Gordon, and this is a little bit of a story of how, to Batman, how the Batman came to be. And that's fine. Gotham City is an interesting place. I've always said hmm. that the characters, the supervillains, um, not even supervillains, because at this point they're just villains, aren't they? Um, I know yep. Edward Nygma's there. I know yeah, they showed a little... Mm, ah, yes, they did indeed. Taught and buoyant, sir. Taught and buoyant. Well, if they'll introduce uh, Joe Chill. Is that... Was, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? In the comic books, that's what his... Um, Joe Chill was, was the, the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents, yes. Exactly, so hopefully they're going to have a bit more on that, because... Um, but they, I know, they, uh, have, they have also said that the Joker will be involved, so... Of course where, he will be. Whether that be the Red Hood... You know or, the season yeah. finale, Dave. You know the season finale. I want to preempt it. It's just like, well, who are you then? He turns around, I am the Red Hood. Oh, huge! Or just, yeah, just just some random gangster that we've been kind of hinted at throughout. Just opens a case because he's got something to do that evening. He's been told he's got to go on this job. Opens the case and there's the red hood and cape. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Geek gasm all over my face, neck, and chest. Sir. Um, <laughs> it gen- genuinely looks like it's going to be a, a really cracking TV series. As we've said before on the Milk It podcast, we are covering literally every single minutiae of this series because we are very excited. From the minute, do you know what? I'm proud of us. From the minute it's been announced, we've managed to keep up with this. And this is, we hope you, uh, I hope you will join us all for the pilot episode, which mm. we'll be talking about in length when it finally does come out. Um, Genuinely, say, um, just to, yeah. to, to say about that, we, we, we joked about it a few episodes ago when Johnny, was, uh, Johnny Bailey was in the friend of the show Johnny Bailey was uh, in your uh, recording studio, sir. Um, we said in the booty we, booth. That, in the booty booth that we <laughs> mm. okay. uh, leave it. Um, <laughs> so when Johnny was in the booty booth, um, and we weren't talking the same conversation they're having clerks about jizz mopping. Um, basically, <laughs> we we hinted at the idea that we would do. Um, a separate little podcast which would be our audio commentary over the first episode of Gotham I genuinely think that needs to happen and uh, stay tuned Milsters so when, when that first episode comes out in the autumn uh, we will be getting together to provide can you I, with an alternative can I, commentary Can I preemptively name it Bat Tracks? You can and I, would, I will look and see if anyone else has done that and if not I think it will be a milking it Bat Track to, uh, <laughs> to go oh, over Oh it even sounds right Dave to go over Ladies that. and gentlemen Introducing uh, Bat Tracks. That's the pilot episode of the Gotham Show with myself, Boulamont, David Davis. Yes, no, that sounds like a good idea. We do like to have these sort of uh, meetings on air because I think it's a, a good thing if we do if we do them live rather than thinking this when we're, yeah. we're, we're not trying to broadcast. Because um, if we actually say it, then we've got to do it. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> bat, bat, the milking it Bat Tracks will be the first episode will be us talking about the Gotham uh, thing providing you with an alternative commentary that you can listen to so when you've watched it and you've enjoyed it and you've got all excited then you can re 
rewatch it along with myself and uh, Booley and uh, maybe some special guests that we can try and get in uh, in the uh, Milking It studios. Uh, so yes, a Gotham uh, TV trailer has gone up. Very exciting. But also it has been a week for uh, geeky superhero news in terms of TV stuff because they have confirmed that there's a couple of series which we've spoken about before that have gone now from pilot and been commissioned to full series. First of all, The Flash mm-hmm. uh, got a little announcement, didn't it? it got the, we've seen the outfit now. We've seen the logo now. We know it's happening. So that's going to that's gonna be quite cool. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Not my favourite character, but... Um, after seeing Operation, uh, sorry, Flashpoint Paradox recently, mm. easily the most interesting thing I've ever seen the Flash involved with in terms of um, yes, yeah, definitely storyline. Definitely. So I'm, I'm really hoping. I've got some high hopes for that. The other one, um, which sounded really interesting and also has had a trailer, now is Constantine um, with the tagline um, "About to bring hell to hell." Or something along those lines. Yeah, an interesting, an interesting one. I mean, you've you've mentioned before. Obviously, we we, we said about the, the film and stuff. And we, yeah, the, the Hellblazer, the Hellblazer comic books are really interesting. Uh, the film Constantine, mm. which starred Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> I will defeat you. Well, I will defeat you, demon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, let's give it a chance. It's a British demon mm. hunter, and uh, hopefully, uh, it, it will be good. It's, it's the over the, the oversaturation of superhero TV has started though, because don't forget the Netflix exclusive uh, Daredevil Jessica Jones uh, series, which yeah. culminates in the Defenders. That's four mini series plus one min. That's four C's, four series plus a mini series. Hmm. Uh, Constantine, AG, um, Peggy Carter. We've still got Agents of Shield. All, all of this still going on it just seems that superheroes are dominating not only the big screen but the small screen as well it's it's a good time to be a geek but obviously like I say once you get to that point where it's kind of oversaturated then you you know for a fact that only a small percentage can continue and exist and and i'm hoping things like gotham do um flash uh, i'm not sure i'm not convinced that that will last too long i think you're right i think he's he's a character that um that will take some work in order to make people believe. And, uh, and they have got to see the running effect. We've got mm. to see the running effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we spoke about this before. I think that that'd be interesting to see how they do that because uh, that's kind of a make or break. But I think that we're, we're in a situation now where special effects have got to that point where they, you know, they can easily achieve something better than the, uh, the nineties TV series of just like speeding up the the camera footage which was uh, and and still does look particularly awful but uh, yeah so just a, a couple of bits of tv news this week uh, which i believe oh, Dave, well, sorry i've oh, just got oh, one what, do, oh no i've got one breaking more. news coming through it is, it is late breaking news and um it is something that i cannot wait for mm. so guys if you're not a big fan of the venture bros it might be worth skipping this a little bit because this news is detailed for all you venturous out there like myself um yesterday uh, i was very privileged to hear an announcement that uh, later this year there will be a half-hour special um, uh, bridging seasons five and six. Um, it's going to be, um, as I said, it's going to be a one-off half-hour, and it's going to be set uh, on the Gargantual 2, which is the space station that's seen uh, through various episodes in The Venture Brothers, uh, which was invented by Rusty's father, Thaddeus Venture. Um, cannot wait. Love this series. If you guys haven't checked out the Venture Bros yet, 
It is still the only hand-drawn animated show in uh, still in production. Um, season six is coming out next year. So this year we haven't had a series. We're just going to have this half-hour special. I mean, that is how dedicated us adventurers are. The fact that we can wait and wait and wait. This year, the only tidbit we're getting is a half-hour special. That's for the entire year um, to bridge season five and six. There's also a rumour that the first episode of season six will be the big finale of season five. So just loads to go on and um, still the best TV show ever made. I highly recommend anyone that has access to Netflix. Uh, Venture Brothers season one and two is now available uh, to stream on Netflix UK and USA. If you want to get a real taste for how good this show is, I highly recommend that you watch the last episode of season one and the first episode of season two. The opening to season two is still, in my opinion, the greatest opening of any TV show ever. And it's still spoken about to this day as as just such a high point of creativity. And that is my little bit personal news on my favourite TV show, The Venture Brothers, available on Adult Swim. You know, a wise man once said, I will be the very best like no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. I will travel across the land, searching far and wide, each Pokemon to understand the power that's inside. Pokemon, gotta catch them. It's you and me. I know it's my destiny. Pokemon, oh, you're my best friend in a world we must defend. Well, it's worth defending this world because here's Jay with another backstory bollocks about Professor Oak, you know, the bloke at the beginning of Pokemon. Oh, Jay? Pokemon isn't right when you think about it. The key target demographic is children, which on the surface seems fair enough. It's full of cute characters and involves lessons on friendship and practicing to achieve your goals. All very nice, all very fluffy. Yes, but come on now. Allow me to slap the rose-tinted specks of childhood nostalgia from your face and replace them with the sunglasses from John Carpenter's They Live because, sister, you need to see the truth with your own eyes. The player is charged with catching wild animals, yanking them out of their natural environment, storing them in tiny cages that would seem spacious to battery hens and only letting them out to stretch their legs when they're expected to engage in cockfights. I suppose you think I'm being Miss Liberal Polly Pissy Pants here. Well, statistically, dogfighting has increased around the world in the last five years. Around about the time kids who played Pokemon Red and Blue in the mid-90s turned 30. Tenuous? Entirely, but I'm sticking to it, because I'm stubborn and an idiot. Professor Oak was, of course, the irresponsible git who deemed it perfectly okay to push children into the world of cute animal cockfighting. And he's curiously absent from the most recent iterations of the DS series, those being X and Y. He's been replaced with his nephew, Professor Sycamore. So while this is going on, where on earth is Professor Oak? Has the old bugger had one of those catastrophic falls that make old people's faces look like a half-skinned peanut? Is he lost in the local garden centre, mumbling to himself and creating a Tron-like dangerous trail behind himself from his leaky colostomy bag? Is he squiring more family members and naming them after trees? No, no, and indeed no. He is busy beavering away in his laboratory and has had to skip the most recent Pokemon entries. You see, there's been some issues with the Pokemon designs themselves, you see. 
After creating 718 of the buggers, the Pokemon featured in X and Y looked pretty much like the results of a load of Japanese artists sitting around for months looking at each other, stressed and confused, silently mouthing, What the fuck are we going to do? Haven't we done everything? Have you got any ideas? I think we've done everything. Look at these designs, they look shit. So Professor Oak has been busy desperately trying to think of new concepts. And yes, splicing creatures together is okay because if anime dogfighting is alright, why not genetically modify and experiment on animals? Show us your eyes, albino rabbit. Daddy's got some makeup in a syringe. Anyway, the Milky Podcast has broken into the laboratory in Pallet Town and has come away with some secret entries to the Pokédex. And here is an exclusive first glimpse at five of the early contenders to be in 2017's Pokemon Syphilis Edition and Clap Edition. Please note, those are working titles. Number one, Gunfrey. A new game, a new Pokemon type. This curious large type Pokemon can be found in between the Belly region and the mysterious Lady Garden on Chub Island. Number two, Batmanax. A moody dark type rich Pokemon known for beating up disfigured impoverished criminals as an evening hobby. Sure to be mentioned quite a lot on the Milking It podcast. Number three, Ukipper. Not much is known about this Pokemon, although it's stated that it's definitely not a dark type Pokemon. Definitely not a dark type Pokemon. It will apparently have its capabilities increased when paired with the Daily Mail item. Number four, Screeleaks. A rock Pokemon who proved to be very popular with younger players, but probably not very popular with the older ones. Looks like the girl all the boys ignored at school. Uses the sound of the Iron Giant having an epileptic fit as its primary attack. And number five, Life Destro. A highly unusual Pokemon that can only be used during player versus player battles. Rather than battle the opposing player's Pokemon, the Life Destro searches and hacks the online presence of the other players themselves. It then empties their real-life bank account, purchasing 16-inch dragon dildos and sending them to the top 100 people on their Facebook profiles, along with a message, I'll be round at the weekend to use this on you. It then will encrypt an unseen virus into the other player's CV, that when opened by an employer will force that company's printer to chuck out a thousand copies of an image of a roadkill tabby cat being licked seductively by Gina G. In addition to that, it will program that person's phone with a brown noise that will be triggered by the player's pheromones that are released when they meet someone they're attracted to, causing them to instantly shit themselves. Finally, the Life Destro will do something unspeakably evil that will either involve a walrus, a horse or an octopus but which one is triggered by that player's settings on their DS screen brightness slider? Who knows what you'll get. Well, how exciting. What a fabulous selection of pocky dudes. Professor Oak has really pulled his thumb out of his arse pipe. And so, here ends the backstory bollocks for this week. Shall we finish up by listening to the opening couple of verses from the pocky rap when every Pokemon was new and exciting? Back on with the nostalgia specs. I want to be the best there ever was to beat all the rest. Yeah, that's my cause. Electro, Dinglet, Nidoran, Mankey, Venator, Atatap, Fero, Pinty, CQ, 
Friday night gasly. Only time for Boreon Polyrath Butterfree. Catch em, catch em, gotta catch em all. Pokemon. I'll search across the land. Look far and wide. Release from my hand the power that's inside. Venomoth, Polywag, Nidorino, Golduck, Ivasaur, Grimer, Victory Bell, Voltrace, Needle King, Farfish, Abra, Jigglypuff, Kingler, Rhyhorn, Clefable, Wigglytuff. Catch em, catch em, gotta catch em all. Gotta catch em all. Pokemon. Zubat, Primate, Meowth, Onyx, Geodude, Rapidash, Magneton, Snorlax, Gengar, Tingala, Goldene, Spiro, Weezing, Seal, Gyarados, Slowbro! Gotta catch them all! Gotta catch them all! So that was this week's stroll through the week of Geek, but we're not done. Oh no, heaven forbid we let you go so early. This week has been a little bit different. Sometimes uh, a man stirs up controversy, and I seem to have done that via the milkingitpodcast.com. Um, there was a, a trailer that I posted up there for the Inbetweeners movie. It's the second Inbetweeners movie. Um, they put the first teaser online. I thought innocently, oh, I'll, I'll sling this up on the uh, the milkitpodcast.com and see what people think. Are they excited? Are they bothered? You know, has the Inbetweeners had its day, as I think it might well have done? And underneath it, someone else posted a comment, then someone else posted a comment, then we got into a conversation, and then I made some sly remark about another sitcom that used to exist so basically boo challenged us to uh to our top five sitcoms and we're going to have a sitcom off and no one's going to be a winner out of this apart from the people listening because basically what we're going to do is end up suggesting 20 sitcoms there may be some overlap i'm not sure uh but we're going to end up suggesting 20 sitcoms that you should go away and you should watch and enjoy and these are the things that have inspired us and probably most of them are the reason why we're here today chit-chatting to you and and trying to be quote-unquote funny uh is, is because of these these particular sitcoms and and the way that they're done so um i can't really explain it too well but i know someone who can so to start us off and first up is dino peppers the man who puts the art in smart mark he is going to do uh, for us his top five and also explain a little bit of why we got into this situation hey everybody A few days ago, the new trailer for the second in between his movie dropped, and it caused a small discussion on the Milk and It podcast Facebook page about sitcoms. This all stemmed from Mr. Davies' comment <coughs> Well, at least it's not Red Dwarf. <laughs> well, as a proud dwarf, I felt the need to stick up for my besmirched friend and ask, Tell me you didn't just say that. <laughs> <laughs> this ended up with the powers of B deciding that a top 5 sitcom list must be compiled to decide the best of all time, or at least the best of all time where Milking It podcast hosts are concerned. Now as much as I love Red Dwarf, it's actually at number 5 on my list, mainly for the latest seasons being a bit ropey. I'm not sure I'm a fan of sitcoms lasting a long time, 
And if I was to list all my favourites over the years, I think most will have ended after two or three seasons, or series, as the British call them. With Red Wolf, I like the situation the characters were placed in. I like comedy, and I like a bit of science fiction, but sitcoms in space are few and far between, and not many really get the balance of science fiction and comedy right. With Red Wolf, they built themselves around bottle episodes, which when placed in a universe where they were supposedly entirely alone really showed up the fertility and pointlessness of people's actions and the characters Arnold Rimmer and Dave Lister helped further juxtapose these ideas, with one having grand ideas to get ahead in life and one not caring about anything except personal happiness, but they both ended up in the same hopeless situation in life, no matter how much effort they put into it. The additional characters that surround them help push the stories around, but it's their show really. Will they get home? Why don't they get home? Who does make cares? As I mentioned, later series start to get ropey and they lose their way a little. The most recent series I felt was a return to form somewhat, maybe just because they tried to do less and return to those early bottle-type episodes. From outer space, we go to Craggy Island, in the parochial home of Father Ted. Father Ted is a mid-90s classic by Arthur Matthews and Graham Linnham, turn that almost believable works because of a trio of priests living together on a remote island. Almost believable because now I've seen a few Irish news reports and they're a bit odd. It focuses on the titular character, Father Ted. <coughs> and his companions, Father Dougal Maguire and Father Jack Hackett, in their day-to-day struggles of saying mass and entering the Eurovision Song Contest. They were assisted by a stream of over-the-top comedic characters like Mrs Doyle and Bishop Brennan, who served to hamper Ted's chances of making money, becoming famous, or even staying sane. This show is a great example of alternative and surreal humour which can go wrong so easily. Why I like it? It's funny in a really simple way. It seems to set up much like an extended sketch comedy show, so it sets up and hits the punchline you expect, but with a little twist here and there. It's light on character development, but there are scenes where you can tell the characters, no matter how mad, crazy, or drunk they are, really care about each other. The show only lasted three seasons, which is one more than the writers apparently like writing, and the last episode featured the last recorded performance of star Dermot Morgan, who sadly died a day after the series had finished shooting. Linehan and Matthew's other shows, Black Books and IT Crowd, are in a similar vein in terms of humour, and definitely worth checking out. But Father Ted for me is the greatest. Next on the list will divide people somewhat. There's one group of people who think Ricky Gervais is a comedy genius, and those that think he's a cunt. Me, I love his stuff. Way back when, he used to have an hour or two on XFM radio, and I always used to tune in, and I followed his career all the way. So when he made The Office, I was well accustomed to this style of humour, and I ate it up. This show really changed the format of sitcoms, from the stale gag every three lines that have been beaten to death by American sitcoms over the years, and introduced the cringe laugh. Yes, it's been played to death more than Del Boy falling through the bar, but the David Brent dance pushed that whole concept to the limit, by drawing you into the scene and making you think how uncomfortable it is, and how funny the story would be later on when you tell it to someone else. The characters in the show range from the ridiculously uncalled boss David Brent, army nut who catch monkey if you ask them to Gareth, to the everyday people you can relate to, Dawn and Tim, whose will they won't they get his own relationship possibly struck calls with more people than are willing to admit when it comes to having a thing for that girl in the office, and then being brutally shot down in the worst possible way in front of everybody. The show lasted two seasons and had two Christmas specials, which wrapped the show's stories up nicely with everyone getting the happy ending they deserve even if it was just being accepted for the loser they are. The show spawned a spin-off in the American office, which lasted a lot longer, but in my opinion really didn't get the humour right. Gervais himself went on the right and star in Lovey Tastic In Joke 
extras, which is worth a watch. And Derek, which I'm not sold on but seems to be quite popular. The longest running sitcom in my list here is an all-time classic, running for what seems like forever. Cheers told the exploits of the employees and clientele of a Boston bar over 11 award-winning seasons. If I'm honest, if you don't know what Cheers is, you're dead to me. Why I love it, it started three years after I was born and as such has always been on TV. Even though some episodes are admittedly turkeys, just the music alone puts me in a special place reminding me of when I used to watch it, way past my usual bedtime on a Friday night. you got the Coach years versus the Woody years, or the Diane years versus the Rebecca years, it doesn't really matter to me. Just the opening piano notes being played make me feel warm. Now on to the final what I consider to be the best sitcom ever in IMO, as the kids say. This is something which often gets overlooked by people when it comes to compiling lists of greatest sitcoms ever, because it didn't get a spin-off series, it didn't make tons of cash on merchandise sales, and it never spawned a much loved catchphrase. What it did give us though were the films Shaun of Dead, Hot Fires and The World's End and the careers of the writers and stars Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright and Nick Frost. Yes, my all-time favourite sitcom is Space. A show which features more film references and homages than you could shake a lightsaber at, and more in-jokes and easter eggs that give you peak viewings and must, just so you can spot them all. It had more to get to the end, why I like it. It doesn't stick to the norms of sitcoms, it doesn't have a theme tune, they don't have a laugh track. The characters all have layers to them that aren't bound to the usual worn out sitcom tropes and get trotted out in the partial situation. The main characters, Tim and Daisy, although have that chemistry and relationship with a long married couple, never crossed the red line of being in a relationship. And in the show ends, they still remain friends. It's all about boring stuff that goes on in life doing the job, going out for drinks, playing paintball. It's the life of a normal person made to look more fun by framing it within film and TV references. As someone who grew up watching a lot of films and TV, I got the jokes and see myself within these characters. There's nothing flashy or over top about them, but they make it funny by comparing a day out playing paintball to a scene from the Vietnam War movie, or crashing a teenager's party like they're an alien rifle. And yeah, modern artists and modern art fans are a bunch of fucking zombies that need to be wiped off the face of the planet. Or at least smacked in the face. Well, that's my list. I'll no doubt post something on my blog about it for you to read, even if it's just the script I'm reading from, with some YouTube clips. That blog is available at asiatopcomics.com, the home of really mature comic books. See ya. It's not finished! It's finished! Nice! Little plug there at the end, Dean. Um, so those were Dean's top five. Very interesting and also a bit more background as to why we're doing this. Um, I think we should now pass the baton to uh, to the man whose bollocks uh, we're pleased to see every week. Uh, Jay, why don't you tell us about your favourite sitcoms? Well, what a bloody hard this this was to work out. There's been so many classic sitcoms throughout the ages. But I'm afraid and I'm a bit of a Johnny Contemporary with sitcoms. There's nothing in my list that comes from the golden age. 
I still watch the likes of Forty Towers, Sergeant Bilko, Hancock's Half Hour and Steptoe and Son, but in my opinion, much of the 60s and 70s fair have been surpassed by the upstarts. I know I'm probably talking in a field of one here, but the open all-hours special that aired at Christmas was as funny as finding a used condom in a shop-bought sandwich to me. And the David Beckham Only Fools and Horses skit during comic relief this year was like trying to find humour in the colour beige. I hate the familiarity of the early evening sitcom. Last of the Summer Wine was always defended by its fans for not having to resort to swearing. No, but it did always have to resort to slapstick rolling down hills in various contraptions as the episode's punchline. Not funny at all. Great progressive comedy should be witty, should challenge, should be intelligent. Incidentally, Monty Python and Brassside would be in here for me if it was all comedy shows and not just sitcoms. And also, I must say that honourable mentions do go out to Spaced, The Young Ones, Alan Partridge and The League of Gentlemen. Number five, The Simpsons. We are, of course, talking series three to eleven here. The characters have worn themselves in by now like a comfortable pair of slippers and the scripts were as perfect as any animated show has attained before or after. Has there ever been a greater comedic creation than Homer J. Simpson? Nope, there hasn't been. Number four, Black Books. Graham Linehan is a phenomenally successful master of blending the surreal into the mundane. IT crowd, Father Ted, Arthur Strong and Big Train were all his babies and he contributed to, the many, to many sketch shows such as Brass Eye. He even created the unforgettably awkward characters Ted and Ralph for the fast show. Graham Linehan is a genius because he understands better than most that the two most important aspects of comedy are understanding people and understanding humour. This 18 episode series was undoubtedly his peak. The three main characters existed in an almost 70s sitcom world, mainly shot in the single location of Grumpy Bernard Black's Scruffy Book Emporium. And this is turned constantly on its head by regular trips into the land of the absurd. Bottles of wine are turned into boozy lollies, scrambled egg is scooped out of shoes using combs, and pineapples are obviously and undoubtedly from space. If Linehan hadn't so effectively grasped the nettle of sitcom tropes, these elements would be tiresome. As they stand, they're complete genius. Number three, Blackadder. The addition of Ben Elton to the writing team in the second series was a masterstroke. The roles of the dumb Blackadder and his smart sidekick, Baldrick, were reversed. But one thing remained. Blackadder's insatiable selfishness and his constantly thwarted attempts to better himself. Smarmy, witty and utterly loathsome, Rowan Atkinson's turn as the eponymous slimeball is a wonderfully foul creation. He took sarcasm to levels never before reached. If someone says that sarcasm is the lowest form of wit, please point them in the direction of Edmund Blackadder. Number two, Frasier. Farce, high farce, 22 episodes of it a series. For 11 series? How could that possibly work? Well, against all odds, it does. The snobby bickering one-upmanship of the Crane Brothers saw Frasier reach far higher heights of comedy than its forebear. There's still excellent cheers. If you want to see Fast done badly, please refer yourself to Keeping Up Appearances. Hyacinth Bouquet was a similarly pompous creation, but her shtick of a weakly befuddled hide-behind-a-bush so the vicar doesn't see her covered in mud lacks the identifiable warmth of its American counterpart. 
you really rooted for Fraser and Niles to find love and success, even if most of the time they're horrendous, stuck-up twats. Why? Because they were likeable. Against all odds, they were likeable. And that's how the series worked. Friends may have been more popular, especially in the UK, but Frasier was the better sitcom, by some distance. Number one, Peep Show. The awkward comedy of Alan Partridge in The Office were obviously quite influential to this, my favourite comedy series of all time. But that does Peep Show an enormous disservice. The original concept of actually experiencing these situations from a first-person perspective and hearing the characters' internal thoughts sounds incredibly gimmicky but it's supremely effective. Mark and Jeremy are self-serving, emotionally stunted, pathetic, and just plain horrible people. But worse than that, they're us. They're you and I. They think how we think. They may seem over the top, and sure, some of the thoughts and situations they get themselves in are exaggerated, but ultimately, those selfish, dark thoughts are the things we all have, and they're expertly written. This would never achieve the ratings of the likes of Only Fools because it does the exact opposite of what most people want from a sitcom. Escapism. Escapism from themselves. The real gimmick of Peep Show is not the first-person perspective, but it turns the awkward comedy back onto its viewer. Your average Joe wants comfort telly, but when has a duvet ever made you feel awkward and laugh like a hyena at the same time? It's groundbreaking stuff. And there's no doubt, in my mind, that it's the best television sitcom of all time and that's my list good interesting choices there from Jay and definitely a few that are on my list um, I shall, shall, shall I uh, I think I'm going to go into it now Dave basically um, I love sitcoms I'm going to start by saying that now I've been a big fan of sitcoms um, since since I can remember. In fact, my first memory, believe it or not, this is actually my first, honest to God, my first memory is of a sitcom starring Jane Curtin called Kate and Ally, 90, from the very, very early 1980s. I don't know if you remember that. They used to show it on Channel 4, and it's literally the first TV theme and the first kind of name of a show that I could remember from my childhood. Unbeknownst to me that years later, Jane Curtin would play another huge influence, not just on my choices of sitcoms, but in comedy in general. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of sitcoms, so for me, this list was painful because of the 30 or so sitcoms that have influenced my life, I had to narrow <laughs> it down to five. So, talking to Kate and Ali and the wonderful Jane Curtin, uh, I suppose I'll start with my number five, which also stars, as mentioned earlier, a fantastic actor by the name of John Lithgow. Also introduced the world to the young man known as John Gordon Levitt, the boy that would go on to star in The Dark Knight Rises, amongst other things. Um, and also starring French Stewart about a family of aliens that crash lands onto the planet Earth, um, and that is Third Rock from the Sun. Just such an influential, mm. feel-good, great, just bit of comedy. It ran from 1996 to 2001, so pretty much from my teens to my late, to my kind of early early uh, 20s just loved everything about this show it, it, it was also part of my I was a big fan of wrestling in the very very early 2000s and lo and behold who should be a regular guest star in it but the ninth one of the world China um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah I'd forgotten China was, was in that that's insane yes 
She, yes, she was Harry's uh, Harry's love interest mm. quite a bit. Just as I said, just a great show, very influential. You had the the, the wonderful Jane Curtin, who obviously came from the previously mentioned Cat in Alley mm-hmm. and Booley's favourite Saturday Night Live, um, uh, one of the original Saturday Night Live cast members. Just so much fun this show, um, such a great concept. I remember actually seeing it for the first time and not, I, I hadn't, I kind of came in in the middle of an episode. And um, it wasn't clear for the first kind of 10 minutes I was watching that these people were aliens. I just thought they were really weird humans. And I just thought, this is so wacky. What is this? And then it was Third Rock from the Sun. I was like, oh, Earth. Oh, oh it's a space thing. And, I mean, the guest stars over time, it eventually ended up with William Shatner being the big giant head who was um, kind of <laughs> was the, 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 peop- the person in charge of their, of their planet, their home planet. Um, I was gutted when it ended. It had a bit of a strange ending as well because they just leave earth that's it they just kind of leave and, and, and that is the end bit of a disappointing ending but um just brought me so many years of laughter and uh, he's definitely one that i'll always hold dear french stewart's not a particularly funny man but um <laughs> it's easily the best thing he's done and just the cast were all just on top of him so uh, my number five david is third rock from the sun furthermore when coupons arrive in the mail I get first dibs. <laughs> I may open a box of cereal to get the prize, but I do not then have to eat the cereal. <laughs> the bathroom has been stocked with two kinds of toilet paper. I and I alone get the quilted kind. <laughs> you will go to a barber. I will go to a stylist. Now, but wait, wait, wait. wait. We have so much more hair than yeah. you. You'll never mention that again. <laughs> Okay, um, I, I, looking at my list and, and hearing the other two guys do theirs, I'm quite unusually, I have no US comedies in my list, which is not to say I'm not a fan of US sitcoms, but again, the same as you said, this is probably the hardest list I've ever had to compile. Even, even when we, like, looking back on previous shows, when we've done like our top five uh, wrestling matches at WrestleMania, or we did our like top five uh, kids cartoon series, and this, that, and the other. Th- this has been more difficult than anything I've ever looked at. And I've got some honourable mentions later on, but I'm, I'm going to stick with the five that, when I look at my DVD shelves, I've still got them. I've I've bought so much comedy over the years, um, but I've gradually got rid of stuff as I've moved houses and, and moved around the country and everything else. These are the ones that I would never give up. These are the ones that I, I had on VHS and then bought again on DVD, and if they ever released on Blu-ray, I'd probably be naive enough to pick them up again. So, anyway, flouncing around out the way, my number five um, is Bottom. So... Originally uh, from the BBC Two, uh, it's 91 to 95. So you're looking at me between the ages of 11 and 15, which is probably the perfect age for something like Bottom because it is ridiculous and crude and rude and wonderful. Um, it's It was Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail as the characters Rich and Eddie. Uh, it's the two flatmates living on the dole in Hammersmith. Um, there was only three series. Like Dean said, most of my choices didn't run much beyond three series. I think that's quite important for a comedy. Um, other than probably Will and Grace, which is a, an honourable mention, I haven't watched stuff. Oh, do you know? Sorry, I hadn't. I hadn't written that on my list, and I actually liked Will and Grace um, specifically for the uh, for the bitchy little lady, Karen. That's the one. Mm. Love that. Her and Jack, Karen and Karen and Jack were one of the funniest 
creations from sitcom ever. There's going to be a clip put in right here. We are all here for you, okay? Right, Karen? Why wasn't I your girlfriend, queer bait? <laughs> What? You told your mother that Grace was your girlfriend. How could you? Karen, I didn't even know you when I made up that lie. Oh, yeah? Well, when you met me, then you should have broken up with her and hooked up with me. You're married. I'm gay. Not in the lie. The Boone Dave of... <laughs> yes, I, our relationship is much like that. I'm not going to tell the Milksters which one is which. So, but anyway, getting back to bottom. So it was Rich and Eddie, uh, Rick Merrill and Adrian Edmondson. Um, just slapstick humour, nihilistic, chaotic. It came about because they'd done a version of Waiting for Godot, uh, the, the Beckett play in the West End, and they, they got together during the production of that and said this would be great as a sitcom. So essentially, you're watching the crudest version of Waiting for Godot, one of the most wonderful theatre pieces of all time. No, not at I all. I had no idea that they 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 were both of them were in a production yeah. of Waiting yeah. for Godot. Yeah, they 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 star together in the West End uh, in 1991 uh, in Waiting for Godot. So uh, they they took that and they created Bottom, which um, there's there's been various spin-off series in terms, well, not series, uh, it's like spin-off shows in terms of like live shows. And they've, they were writing a series called Hooligans Island, which was going to be like a follow-up. And they both decided, you know what, we just need to leave it here because we're not um, going to improve on the original. I actually heard, sorry to interrupt, to interject, I heard that Aid Edmondson said he will always be my best friend. However, Rick Mail is an arse to work with. Mm. Which is why, which is why he's actually um, they kind of called it a day. As far as I was aware, there were three completed episodes script-wise for yeah. the Hooligans Island spin-off. Yes, yeah. I mean, they they got to the point where they were like doing their meetings to write it and planning it and everything else in 2012, and they just they both walked away from it for various reasons. And yeah, like you say, um, Aid's been quoted as saying that that Rick's a very difficult man to work with. Rick Mail for me is one of my heroes um but yeah so bottom is my number five in my uh my sitcom top five sir and i would urge anyone if you haven't had a chance to watch it please go back and watch it if the only thing you watch is the christmas special that they did purely for the line vodka margarine <laughs> would you like one spud or two <laughs> <laughs> No. No. Would you like one potato or two? Two. <laughs> You've been drinking, haven't you? How dare you! How dare you accuse me of drinking the ninja? Me, your oldest pal and matey, old skip, old bus fart, tram ticket, one for the road, bagger scratching. We'll keep her welcome in the parking, Mr. David Childish Jensen. Me, drinking an inning? Why, I'll tear you limb from limb. No, but you have, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Hi, Dave. Uh, my number four is a show that's already been mentioned, so I'm not going to go into a massive amount of detail about it, but it is important, therefore it needs mention. Um, my number four is, uh, as previously mentioned, by Mr Dino Peppers, 
is Spaced, uh, starring Nick Frost, Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson. Um, <clears throat> a few things that he didn't mention was that the supporting cast, everyone's kind of gone on to bigger things. Mm. Uh, obviously, Simon Pegg has gone... Um, has gone on to play Scotty in the Star Trek reboots. Mm. That's a reboot shoot material right there. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, all of the original team, that includes Edgar Wright, who produced and directed many of the episodes of Space, yeah. uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have all gone on to make the now infamous Cornetto trilogy. If you haven't seen uh, Shaun of the Dead, if you haven't seen Hot Fuzz or The World's End, um, I highly recommend you track this down. It is a trilogy that is truly delightful. Um and uh, the last one in particular, The World's End, you can just see how much these guys have improved, not just as actors, but as filmmakers and makers of entertainment in general. So my number four is Spaced. Okay. Yeah, like you say, um, very influential. Uh, would definitely be one of my honourable mentions. This is Mike. Why? He's my best friend. Mike's just got back into the Territorial Army. He got chucked out because he nicked a tank and tried to invade Paris. My number four is probably the very definition of a guilty pleasure for me. Um, it's, I'm almost ashamed to say this, which is quite bad, but because it, it just fits every stereotype. Uh, my number four is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. Um, if you're not aware of it, it, it again, it only ran for three series, uh, 99 to 2001. It was written by Jonathan Harvey, who wrote Beautiful Thing, one of the best stage plays and one of the greatest films that you'll watch about uh, the coming out experience. Um, it was developed with Kathy Burke. She stars in it. She's wonderful in it. It's one of the best things that she's ever done. And she's done some amazing things, you know, as a director, as a producer, as an actress. Um, Gimme 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 is basically uh, Kathy Burke and James Dreyfus. Uh, they live together in in a flat. Again, it's it's maybe I'm just obsessed with people who live together in a flat. I'm not sure. Um, but so uh, James Dreyfus is a very uh, extremely gay stereotype in the sort of flouncing uh, way that we were used to in the 70s. But it's kind of a, a traditional twist on the odd couple. It's got that sort of humour from innuendo. There's some wonderful lines in it where the, the humour comes from those two just bitching it out between them. Um, it's it's filthy, it's funny, it's just good fun, and I, I genuinely think it stands up. And uh, this little clip will explain exactly why. Oh, I was born to be in a West End musical, you know. I almost was the dresser in Limit. Oh, but you see, Tom, the most important thing is, can you sing? Can I Can I sing? Of course I can bloody sing! I was head chorister at Our Lady of the Wrap Over Blouse. It was my first taste of the limelight. Oh, they were halogen days. Oh, shut up. My new best friend needs more wine. Oh, God! There was that musical, wasn't there? You know, where he changed the water into wine? And he was really famous, and he had a rock group or something. Oh, Jesus, what was he called? Oh, Christ, I'll remember it in a minute. There we go. <laughs> there we go. See, that that, that, that to me is good humour. That is, is, is stereotypical, yet fun. Like I say, a, a complete guilty pleasure. So my number four is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. Check it out if you get a chance. So I also thoroughly enjoyed Gimme, Gimme back in the day, Dave. I was sharing a room with my brother then. I won't tell you which brother it was. I can guess. Um, <laughs> um, yes, um, we used to love Gimme, Gimme. Uh, Kathy Burt was fantastic. In fact, oh. I remember James Dreyfus specifically... From another sitcom starring Rowan Atkinson, which was the Thin, the thin Blue, Blue Line. Line, yes, where yeah. he played written the same character. Yeah. Sorry, written by Ben Elton, totally. Oh. Um, where he was playing the same character but not gay. He was in love with the uh, with uh, Officer Habib, who was the oh, Indian uh, lady. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, 
I used to love Gimme Gimme um, just because it's just so outlandish. She's she's obviously in love with the black man upstairs um, <laughs> yes. and always invites them both downstairs to try and seduce him. Just a really funny show. Um, not even mean-spirited. It's just funny. And um, Kathy Burke, she is always good. Always good. I, so I'm with you there, mate. Gimme Gimme's not a bad show at all. Definitely, definitely. Uh, like I say, if you get a chance, check it out because it's, um, it, it, it's one of the few ones as well that it... It doesn't really date because the, the, it's just two people taking the piss and slagging each other off, which is just that's my that's my ideal evening in. <laughs> uh, so we're on to number three, sir. What oh. are you presenting at number three, Dave? Um, let me just give you a bit of background to my number three choice here. You see, the other day on Facebook, a man gave an opinion so controversial that it made the first episode of Hile Honey, I'm Home from the 1990s look like the most successful TV series of all time. Dave, my number three mm. is the sci-fi sitcom classic The Red Dwarf. Um, <laughs> from 1988 to the present day, the crew of The Red Dwarf have kept me laughing non-stop, apart from one series, which counts as a miniseries, so it doesn't count. Um, I love Red <laughs> Dwarf. I love Red Dwarf. I think the first five series right. in particular are some of the best and most rewatchable TV in existence. Um, for the two or three people who listen to this show by accident who aren't really geeks or into anything good and have no idea what Red Dwarf is, Red Dwarf is the story of Dave Lister, the last human being alive, um, kept alive for millions of years in status for a smuggling account aboard the mining ship Red Dwarf. Uh, awakened millions of years later to find he is the last human. Uh, his only companions are a hologram of the most anal man in history, Mr. Arnold Rimmer. Uh, and a, a, a creature that evolved from his cat called the cat and a, uh, a troubled mechanoid by the name of Crichton. Um, I can understand what you said, Dave. Mm-hmm. You said at least it's not Red Dwarf. You can't mean it in a tongue-in-cheek way because you are right in saying that the latest series of Red Dwarf are terrible. As I said, the first five series for me are just brilliant. It did start to go downhill. It's continued to go downhill and... As much as it was nice to see the boys back together, Mm. the last series was a little bit sad viewing in some aspects because they were trying the same tired jokes to a new audience, and I don't think it worked all the time. There were about two or three standout episodes from the six-episode run. Obviously, Red Dwarf is is very famous for British people. In America, they actually tried to reboot it. There goes that word again. Twice (laughs) for the Americans. Um, Neither time worked out very well. Uh, the only kind of big thing to come out of it was that the the woman that played the computer, Holly, would go on to uh, be in, to, to be the uh, one of the main characters in Frasier. So um, she, she found her success elsewhere in another sitcom that was mentioned uh, by Jay. What's not to like about Red Dwarf? It's British, it's sci-fi, it's geeky material, it's got good jokes, it's, a, it's got a good odd couple um, kind of narrative. It's always interesting, and um, I, I've been a fan of the books, the series, just everything they do. So I'm, I'm definitely a dwarfer. So uh, my number three is Red Dwarf. I think, and and this is where I take the stand, because I, I, obviously the whole reason we're having this conversation, like we said, is because I made some flippant remark about Red Dwarf. Um, it, it would be on my honourable mentions. It, it, it's something that I did have on VHS back in the day. I was a big fan. I would also say that Red Dwarf was the first... Um, sort of franchise that I 
realised that you could get geeky t-shirts for like you know I had a Smeghead t-shirt. I, we all had a we all had a Smeghead you know, t-shirt, and, and that was the thing. It, that the idea of going and getting an autograph from Chris Barry got me to go to my first ever what we'd now call a con at the time was like a, just a merchandise fair uh, at the NEC, and that got me into the whole sort of geek culture. So it's responsible for me being here now recording this with you because I got sucked into that world of little geeky wonderful underworld oh this is amazing we've got these little jokes that we all understand there's this sci-fi oh what's going over there oh it's Farscape let's go and watch that for a bit um, but my my comment wasn't meant as an insult at all because I'm, you know, I have a lot of respect for the guys who did it I have a lot of respect for the writing I think it's still you know, reasonably funny and everything else my, my problem with it was like you say that they had a, a later series that was quite sad to watch because it was like unfortunately it was like i imagine it will be when we watch ghostbusters 3 um it's it it tried to become too much of a sci-fi program and not enough of a sitcom so you'd end up on these weird tangents of sort of parallel physics and everything else but also it was just i don't think it stands up in terms of the way it looks i think things like red dwarf unfortunately any sci-fi dates very quickly um, especially when you look at stuff now that's produced with massive budgets and everything else and you look back on it, it's the same as if you look at sort of Blake 7 or you know the Hitchhiker's Guide and things like that they date really badly especially in British TV sense because whereas the States they'll throw a million dollars an episode here we'd give them 50 quid and try and get them to put some tinfoil on stuff and make it look like it, it was a sci-fi thing but that's not taken away from how funny it was I was a big Red Dwarf fan, and like I say, without Red Dwarf, I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you. Wait, I've got something. I'm punching it up. Too small for a vessel, maybe some kind of missile. It's impossible to tell at this range. Whatever it is, they clearly have a technology way in advance of our own. So the Albanian State Washing Machine Company. <laughs> Step up the red alert. Uh, sir, are you absolutely sure? It does mean changing the bulb. My number three is as far away from Red Dwarf as you could possibly get. Uh, yours was set in space, sir. Mine is set in Bolton. Uh, number three for me would be Phoenix Knights. Uh, sitcom by Peter Kay. Uh, it, was quite, it came from the Peter Kay thing. It was like a one-off episode they did. Um, and <laughs> which was uh, based around a character called Brian Potter, who is in a wheelchair and is the owner of the Phoenix Club. Um Basically, the idea was that it was a northern working men's club. Um, it was the adventures of the people who worked there. It was very, very sort of kitchen sink in terms of not much happened. Uh, the humour came more from the sort of northern quality to it. It may have been a, a bit more of an appeal to me because I was living up in Chester at the time when it came out. And uh, I, I was able to enjoy those wonderful northern accents every single day when uh, when I was going to work. But uh, written by Peter Kay, uh, Neil Fitzmorris and Dave Spikey. It was broadcast on, on Channel 4 in uh, 2001 and 2002. There was, again, there's only two series... I still think it's up there with the best sitcoms of all time in terms of the way it's written. I think it, it holds its own against things like Faulty Towers, uh, The Office and stuff like because there's no laugh track to it. It's just presented in front of you. It's just a, a, a bit farcical, but also just very sweet and whimsical and, and really well done. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff in there that if you've seen Peter Kay do his stand up, and I know it's not cool to like Peter Kay anymore because you know he's oh he's sold out. He's he's up, he's up there with the sort of Michael McIntyres and people like that. That once they've achieved a certain level of success, um, apparently it's not cool to like them. But I'm I've always been a Peter Kay fan. I've always enjoyed his stuff. Um, I I can understand why people do find him annoying, but I think this is an example of just a perfect ensemble piece. Every single person who's used in in the whole of the, the two series plays their parts wonderfully. There's a number of really good stand-ups who are involved in it as well, who are people that I'd worked with um, and when I was doing stand-up, and it was and it was lovely to see them being used so wonderfully uh, within this ser- the, the two series that they that they were part of. Uh, so yeah, for me, uh, number three. If you haven't had a chance to, 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 I'm not sure how it would translate to our milksters that are outside the UK. I'd be interested to know whether anyone outside the UK really got involved and enjoyed the Phoenix uh, Phoenix Nights. But uh, yeah, Phoenix Nights for me is my number three. The only thing I know from Phoenix Nights was there was a spin-off called Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere and I did actually catch a couple of episodes of that. Still Peter K, still very funny and I'm just so that's a spin-off of a spin-off. Yes, yeah, spin-off of a spin-off. <laughs> um yeah, Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere wasn't particularly great. It was Paddy McGuinness and, and and Peter K co-wrote it. Um, you could tell that it wasn't the same people who were writing it. I think I don't think you can discount in terms of Phoenix Knights the importance of uh, Neil Fitz- Fitzmaurice and uh, Dave Spikey, who are both involved in writing it. Uh, they were well well versed stand up comics. They've been around a long time, sort of fifteen years to Peter Kay's five. They trod the boards. They'd done those clubs. They'd had that experience, and it was all the little bits and pieces they built up during that time that actually got thrown in and, and, and were part of Phoenix Knights. Max and Paddy, I think, was more okay we've got to write a new series it's a bit on the fly and it's there were yeah it's it's an awkward series to watch max and paddy but uh, i definitely recommend phoenix knights if you haven't had a chance to watch it then then check it out but uh, yeah yeah phoenix knights is is my number three what do you think jerry can't drink on these tablets what what are these for remember you burnt my hand i did i didn't burn your hand you burnt your own bloody hand eh christ look at all these druggy 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 you'll be in the toilets next snorting cecil you mean Charlie? What? Charlie. I don't know who he is. I've never met the man. Which moves us on to number two. What's your number two, Mr. Boo? Well, Dave, my number two, um, as already, again, has been mentioned previously in another list uh, on this very episode. But it is one that I go back to and back to and back to, and it's just so watchable. And that is The Black Adder. Just love every series. Um, the, even the first series, which is massively unpopular with a lot of people, for me it was brilliant because it had Peter Cook in it. Yes, um, and I'm a big Peter Cook fan, uh, as you can probably tell by my uh, Derek and Clive style rant, which you can hear exclusively on the uh, Totally Insane Tape Show Bob Hoskins special, uh, specifically aimed at one Julia Roberts, uh, more specifically <laughs> the movie Pretty Woman. But you can definitely hear that Peter Cook was a bit of an influence um, in in that bit. Um, Back to the I'm back to the Blackadder. Um, it's such an important TV series in the UK that I remember specifically one history lesson at school. We were made not even made to watch. We were honoured to watch the very last episode of series uh, of the fourth series. Oh, Blackadder wow. goes forth, which is um, if if you're not aware of the series, each series is set in a different time period, um, and the last one is set during the First World War. Mm. Um, and it ends with them going over the wall of the um, trenches um, to fight to fight the Germans. And um, unfortunately, obviously, the, the story for many, many people 
um, during that situation in real life uh, was the same for these characters, and they were gunned down in um, one of the most memorable TV moments ever. The fact that this came out of a, of a uh, comedy as well, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. The, the fact that the entire episode was played for laughs, and then at the end, silence. Literally, everyone I've ever watched that with, you have to give yourself a good 30 seconds to be able to talk again after the end of the episode. It ends with the most beautiful um, image of the battlefield fading over time and becoming a poppy field. And um, it's a very important moment in TV history. This is off the back of a comedy sitcom about the most acid-tongued man in the history of everything. From from series one to four, the little spin-offs, just everything. Um, the Blackadder Christmas Carol, which is the Christmas Carol story in reverse. It's a story of how a nice person is visited by three <laughs> ghosts and turned into a miser. It is an achievement in television. Mm. It's because the first uh, series was quite expensive to make. It was quite a grand piece, and um, it, it just cost too much. They were going to scrap it. So um, the people that wrote the, the series approached the BBC and said, look, we'll do it for half the money. We'll do a second series for half the money, and uh, history was made quite, quite literally. Quite um, literally, yeah. So uh, my number two pick is Blackadder, starring Rowan Atkinson. Um, just just a fantastic show and um, I, I don't know its popularity outside of England it should have universal appeal but um, uh, I'm not entirely sure what your Blackadder memories Mr David I, I again like you it, 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 if any sitcom could have fallen at number 6 in my list it would have been Blackadder uh, it, it's definitely definitely one that I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed not a massive fan of the first series uh, I agree a friend of the show Brian Blessed involved in the uh, the first series, uh, and like you say, Peter Cook. Who uh, again, I'm a massive Peter Cook fan. Another reason why Boo and I have ended up doing a show together because we we share those sort of comedy interests. Um, but yeah, once you get into the sort of second and third series, just wonderful writing, getting Richard Curtis and Ben Alton involved. Um, the fourth season, oh season, the first, the fourth series. series, as it's a British production, was without a doubt one of the best sitcoms of all time um it's just the writing is wonderful it, it's got pathos it's got nuance it's just perfect um and like you say that that final shot i remember we we also watched it i remember uh, someone coming into the school when we were doing drama when i was at secondary school and we watched that as part of our sort of history slash drama moment and, and yeah that fade between the field and the poppies is is just one of those sitcom moments where it stops becoming a sitcom and it becomes a comedy drama because you realise the futility of the situation they were in was actually matching what was really going on at the time. Um, yeah, uh, Stephen Fry, wonderful. Hugh Laurie, wonderful in that. And you know, and you can't fault Rowan Atkinson throughout the whole of those. Yeah, Blackadder for me, one of the best. If you haven't had a chance, yeah, again, like we say, go out and check them out. There's, there's stuff on YouTube or, you know, pick up the DVD, stick on your Netflix, have a look on iPlayer, see what's around. Well worth a watch. I have a plan, sir. Really, Borick? A cunning and subtle one? Yes, sir. As cunning as a fox who's just been appointed Professor of Cunning at Oxford University? <laughs> yes, sir. On the signal, company will advance! Well, I'm afraid it'll have to wait. Whatever it was, I'm sure it was better than my plan to get out of this by pretending to be mad. I mean, who would have noticed another madman around here? Good luck, everyone.
And that's where we put a pin, Nick Kids, because that's where the recording software failed. And uh, the uh, the last sort of 10, 20 minutes of our conversation uh, purely between Boo and myself. Uh, nothing uh, recorded, so it won't be added to the end of this. So a screeching halt to our sitcoms list that will be concluded next week on the Milking It podcast. Find out what my number two and number one are. Find out what Boo's favourite sitcom of all time. It seems a decent place to put a pin in it uh, because we have gone on long enough this week. As always, Thank you to Jay. As always, thank you to Dino. As always, thank you chiefly to you. For Boulamont, I'm David Davis. Check out our merch at uh, milkingitpodcast.com. And uh, please join us next week as we take another stroll through the week of geek. This was the Milking It Podcast, episode 24. You wanna milk it and you know. You gotta milk it and you know. You do this every time! You... Oh, you... Ugh! God! Choking on my own rage here!